You have your Bibles, please. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. It's been a profound and a wonderful thrill to get to be here today, to be with your pastor and the great precious men and ladies in this church. Now, the choir music, just excellent, just superb. And the ladies group and the solos, everything has been a wonderful blessing. Now, I've said this before and I mean it. I think in America it should be legal to shoot a bad choir. You ought to be able to just stand up and put them out of their misery. But boy, your choir, whoa, what a magnificent, magnificent blessing they are to listen to with the heart. And then I just love being with your pastor. Uh, how many of you know your pastor has a touch of God on his life that's unique? And boy, just being with him puts wind in my spiritual sails. And I love being with this precious man of God. And so this has been a treat for Brother Krauss and I to come. Hebrews 11 is often called the great faith chapter. And tonight I ask you this question, how's your faith? Is it growing? Is it magnifying? Is it being fortified? Or has your faith, for whatever the reason, somewhat just stalled out? Was there a time in the past when your faith was more vibrant than it is today? It amazes me the wonderful people I talk to who say, David, I, I can't explain how, but there was a time a few years ago or a decade ago when my fervency for God and my faith was much, much higher than it is now, much greater than it is now. And I always caution them, boy, that's so sad. Don't leave it there. Don't let that remain. God wants your faith to be ever-growing. Remember, we're about to read, there is only one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. Let's read what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is, and before we read any further, circle the word is in your Bible. Now, you say, David, why would I circle that little two-letter word? Because faith with God is something. It is not an ethereal, mystical thing at all. It is something that's real. And God understands that. And that's why God says faith is. And he wants you and I to very clearly understand what it is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Where there's no hope, there's no faith. When the devil wants to defeat us, he defeats our hope. If we're not careful to nurture our hope, all of a sudden our faith will start waning because faith is the substance, the reality of what's hoped for. Then he uses this legal term, the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. You can't hide faith even though you can't see it. It will evidence itself. Someone says, well, I, I have great faith. It just doesn't show. No, no, no. You can't hide faith. Faith will always evidence itself. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Go to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Please note it doesn't say it's highly unlikely. Note it doesn't say that it would be almost impossible. God makes a divine declaration that'll stand for eternity. And he said, there's not one thing you can do that will please me 
if it's not done by faith. This is, as one preacher said, the only currency that God permits to be spent in heaven, and that is faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and it is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Tonight, I ask you, how's your faith? You know what I've discovered? I can get so busy doing so busy being active, so busy with all the things that come across my desk, doesn't matter what time I start in the morning, I'm already behind before I ever get going. And all of a sudden, I have not nurtured my faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I'd like you to jot down three things that are found in the scripture if we are going to be men and women of faith. And Jesus was so clear, he said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Our faith is a critical component of the Christian life. Three things. Number one, if I want my faith to grow, the first thing you have to have is what I call the voice, the voice. David, what do you mean by the voice? Are you hearing from God? Have you got his voice in your life? The Christian life was never meant to be lived without you hearing from the Almighty, the creator, the sustainer of the universe. The Bible says my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you in your life have the voice of God. It's critical if your faith is going to go anywhere. There's wonderful people in this church, people who mean well, who are very, very tender to the things of God, but their voice can never take the place of the voice of God. This young couple getting ready to surrender their lives to go to a foreign field they're going to need the voice of God to know that God has spoken to them. Now, when God gives us his voice, he gives it one of three ways. And I want you to jot these three ways down. You already know them. But oh my, are they critical if you're going to have the voice of God. Uh, The first way that God gives it is through his word, through his word. 99.9% of the time when God speaks to you, it's gonna be through the holy word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's why the devil's gonna do everything in his power to keep you from this book. Because he doesn't want God to speak to you. He wants that voice canceled and that voice checked and that voice thwarted. And he wants you to fill your life with all kinds of other voices. The voices of what's on TV and the voices of what the world has and the voices of anything. But his role is to keep us from the voice of the word of God. And if you're going to hear from God, you've got to be a man or a woman of the book. When was the last time that in reading the Bible, God spoke to you? When was the last time 
that you said, whoa, I hear you, God. The Bible says if we come seeking, if we come knocking, he'll talk to us. And I promise you, God wants to talk to you. Not just your precious pastor. Not just some other person. God wants to talk to you. Now, you can read the Bible and not have God talk to you. Because if you're not careful, you you just do it on rote. You're just sitting there reading and you say, well, I'm going to read two chapters or I'm going to read a chapter. And, And you're just reading to get it done. And it's not talking to you. But when you sit down and say, God, talk to me. I promise you he'll do that. A wonderful pastor, in fact, the man is here tonight, challenged my life on reading the word of God. We were traveling one night together and in the course of our travel, This pastor said, you know, David, I've decided that I'm going to read the Bible like it's the most important book in all the world. I said, that's wonderful. He said, you believe it's the most important book, don't you? I said, I do. By the way, how many of you believe it's the most important book in all the world? Do you believe that? And he said, I believe it's the only book God ever wrote. He said, do you believe that, David? I said, I do. How many of you believe it's the only book God ever wrote? There it is. He said, I'm going to read it that way. And I said, wow. I said, have you got a reading program? He said, I do. I I said, are you going to read through the Bible in a year? Now, you have to understand something. I thought if somebody read the Bible in a year, they were a spiritual giant. I was trying lawsuits all over America, and I'd never read the Bible in a year. And when we do our lawsuits, it's amazing to me that less than 6% of our church members tell us they've ever read the Bible through in their lifetime, let alone in a year. I said, you're going to read the Bible through in a year, preacher? He said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, well, I understand you're awfully busy and you got a lot of ministry. And he said, no, 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 David. He said, it's way too important. I'm going to read it through more than once a year. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I've decided to read the Bible through cover to cover every 30 days, every month. I looked at him and I said, you're going to read the Bible through every single month? He said, yeah. I said, that's impossible. He looked at me and he said, how would you know? (laughs) And, And I said, I don't know how I know that. I was just born knowing that. The next words out of his mouth were not real polite. He said, boy, has the devil got a hold of your head. And I thought, that's not polite. What he did next, we're sitting in a car. He said, how many pages are in your Bible? And then I looked. My Bible has a few less than 1,200. He said, okay, if you're going to read 1,200 pages in 30 days a month, how many would you have to read? I said, you'd have to read 40 pages a day. That surprised me. He said, okay, if you're going to read 40 pages a day, read one and let me time you. So, boy, I took an Old Testament page. I read really slow. I knew what was coming. You know what? You can very slowly read a page in my Bible in just under a minute and a half. He said, okay, a minute and a half, 40 pages. I said, yeah. 
He said, let me give you two minutes of page so you can do it very slow. I said, okay. He said, two minutes a page, 40 pages, that'd be 80 minutes a day, wouldn't it? I said, yeah, these numbers were amazing me. He said, let me give you 10 extra minutes so you can do it really slow. I said, okay. He said, that'd be 90 minutes, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah. And he said, son, don't you ever forget this. 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes at night. And you can slowly read through from cover to cover the only book God ever wrote. You can read through from cover to cover the most important book in all the world, God's holy word. Whoa. Do you want his voice? I promise you tonight he wants to talk to you. I promise you tonight before I pillow my head, God wants to talk to me. I love what Adrian Rogers said years ago. He said, I don't get out of bed until I've got my Bible on my lap looking for God to talk to me. Oh, listen, if your faith is going to grow, you have to have the voice, the voice of God. You say, well, David, it's, it's been a long time since God spoke to my heart like that through the word then start tonight. Start. If you're his child, he wants to talk to you. And the first way he does it is through the word. The second way that he gives us his voice is through his servants. Through his servants. David, what is that? That's where a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an evangelist, somebody is teaching and preaching the word of God And God speaks through them to you. I was with your pastor this afternoon. And your pastor said a few things that I'm telling you, God spoke to me through what he said. Now, did your pastor say to me, you listen to me, this is God talking to you, David. He didn't do that. But I'm telling you what he did do. God was all over what he said. And it touched my heart. If you tonight just hear my voice, you got nothing. If you walk out of here and say, I heard David Gibbs, tonight, with all due respect, was a colossal waste of time. But if you walk out of here and you say, God spoke to me, then you got something priceless. My words can't build your faith, but God can through the words of his servants. My Sunday school teacher as I grew up was a man by the name of Cecil Weigel. And Cecil Weigel was not particularly well educated. I don't think he ever graduated from high school. He was a carpenter, and this is back in the day when when carpenters didn't have all these pneumatic tools where they had air nailers and all this. I mean, this was when they hammered and sawed. This man had hands like that. And every Sunday he'd stand up and he'd teach us the word of God. 
And while he'd teach us, tears would come down his cheeks. And he'd look at us and he'd say, you boys don't understand how important this is. And he knew his Bible. Cecil Weigel, a while back, went home to be with the Lord. And Pastor Monroe, I decided to go to his funeral just to be there to honor my Sunday school teacher. And when I got there and I walked in, here were 60-some-odd of his Sunday school boys. None of us put it together to come. We just all each on our own decided to come. And when I walked in, I, the first fellow that I knew walked in, he said, David, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? I said, you came here all the way from the West Coast. He said, David, that's the man I heard from God every week through. Boy, when God speaks through his servants, it's a powerful and a wonderful thing. You want your faith to grow, you gotta have the voice through the word and through his servants. Write the third way down, you get the voice. That's when God's Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit with his voice. Oh, this is precious. God's spirit talking to your spirit. You say, well, I don't know that I've ever had God's spirit talk to me. Boy, you don't want to say that. If you're saved, the Bible says his spirit would bear witness with your spirit that you are his child. And I promise you, God's spirit wants to talk to you. Now, he's never going to say one thing in any respect inconsistent with the word of God. Don't you ever, ever, ever get the notion that God told you something that's contrary to the Bible, because God's never going to do that. I had a man come up to me and he said, God gave me permission that I could divorce my wife and, and run off with this other lady. And I said, I promise you God didn't do that. I promise you. And he said, well, how can you be so sure? I said, because God would have to break his eternal word and he's not going to do it for you or anybody else. When God speaks to you, it's always going to be consistent with this word. But when's the last time you said, talk to me? Your spirit to my spirit. I promise you, he wants to talk to you more than you want to hear. How many of you ever had God say to you, don't do that? Hold your hand up, would you? Oh, yeah. How many of you all ever had God say, that's not right? Hold your hand. Yeah. I tell a story because it's a true shame on me. Uh, I was in a motel room and I broke my hanger. I'm packing at about 3 o'clock in the morning, getting ready to go. And the hanger just disintegrated, came apart. And I thought, man, i got to have a hanger to pack my suit. And I looked, and boy, in a closet were these great-looking hangers, a bunch of them. 
Now, most motel hangers, and I don't, don't take this wrong, they're not worth stealing. <laughs> they're terrible. This motel had nice ones. And I'm telling you, I thought, I'm not going to steal it. I'm just going to long-term borrow it. <laughs> and so I'm telling you, I started to reach for that hanger, and like that, God said to me, thou shalt not Who'd like to take a shot at the next word? <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, I got lighten up. I got to have a hanger. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll call down to the front desk. There was a kid working down there, working the all-night shift. I called him. I said, hey, my hanger broke to pieces, and I'd like permission to take one of yours. Would that be okay? You know what the kid said to me? I can't give you permission to steal our stuff. How did I know God's cousin would be working the desk that night? Oh, my goodness. Do you cherish when the Spirit of God talks to you? Do you cherish it? I was in Australia and handling a case and going to speak at a Bible conference, and there's a missionary there whose wife was dying. This dear lady, so sick. Oh boy, so sick. And the pastor said, we need to take an offering for her. And I said, yeah, that's great. And the pastor said, I want everybody to give. And like that, God spoke to my heart and said, you give for sure. I'm telling you, the Lord just spoke. And I said, okay, okay. Well, man, I reached in my pocket, got out my wallet. Only time this has ever happened. The only bill, the only bill in my wallet was a $100 bill. And it was all the money I had with me. And I said, Lord, I can't give that. I won't have anything left. And God's still saying, give. And I'm saying, uh-uh. How many of you all have ever said, uh-uh, to God? <laughs> now, I want to give. I just don't want to give that. So I'm thinking this through. I know what I'll do. When they pass the offering plate, <laughs> I'll put the hundred in and take some out. But then I thought, this is no good. I'm on the first row. There won't be anything in it much. And the guys next to me don't look like they're very good givers. They could really mess this up. Then I thought, well, I'll look like I put something in. <laughs> and the whole time, God just said, give. When his spirit speaks to your spirit, do you obey? Even if you're not thrilled with what it's saying? They took that offering and I didn't put a penny in, not a penny. Then I walked up to preach and like that the Lord spoke to my heart and said, now I suppose you want me to help you. And I said, yeah, that's pretty much what I had in mind. 
the voice from the word of God, the voice from the servants of God, and the voice from when God's spirit talks to your spirit. Wow. When I stood up there that night, Pastor Monroe, I I started preaching and I just stopped and I said, I got to tell you what I did. I said, I'm ashamed of myself. How many of you all have ever been ashamed of yourself? Hold your hand up, would you? I said, God, I'm just ashamed of me. What's the matter with me? Over a lousy hundred dollars. How would I be like that? Boy, that voice, your faith, it changes everything. Write the second thing down. You want your faith to grow, number one, you got to have the voice. Number two, you got to have the venture. David, what do you mean by the venture? If you're only going to hear one thing, listen to this. God never wants to grow your faith so you can sit there fat with faith. He doesn't want to grow your faith so you can just be flush with faith. He wants to grow your faith so you can do something for him. If you read Hebrews 11, the the great faith chapter, after verse 6 it says, by faith, and I think it starts with Noah and then Abraham, and and, and it says, by faith, and then come all these action verbs. They did something with their faith. Are you willing to let God grow your faith so you can do something for his honor, for his glory? This beautiful young couple, oh, I want God to grow their faith, but not just so that they can have faith, but so that by faith they can do the venture. They can do something, be something. You say, well, David, I'm kind of a senior citizen now. This is good for the younger people. No, no, doesn't matter what your age is. God wants to grow your faith so you can do something for him. You say, well, how how will I know when God's through with me? You'll be looking at him. That's how you'll know. How many of you understand what I just said? My son Jonathan came to me and he was on his way to the mission field in Peru. And he said, Dad, he said, pray for me. I want to have faith to reach our neighborhood. He said, I'm frightened, but he said, here's what I've decided. He said, I I, I don't want to go halfway around the world to tell people in Christ and never having told my neighbors never having told the people on our street. Isn't that funny? We want to send missionaries everywhere, and we should. Boy, when we get home, Seth, I want to encourage our church. Seth and I go to the same church. I want to encourage them to get behind this young couple. But God wants me to do something, too. So Jonathan, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm just scared a little bit. And I said, well, you don't have to be scared. He said, well, it's easy for you to say. 
But, but he said, for me to go to all these people's houses, but he said, I'm fasting and I'm asking God and I'm, I'm dwelling richly in the word so that, Dad, I can go talk to him. Well, what I didn't know was he was writing a letter. And he wrote this letter that said, you know, I'm your neighbor and I'll probably never see you again. But it said, my concern is, I'm afraid you're going to die and go to hell. Boy, he gave him the plan of salvation. And I mean, the letter was very direct. I mean, it, it talked about the fact most of you go to church, but you don't know Jesus Christ. And he's got this letter all done. And he brings it to me and he said, Dad, what do you think of my letter? And I read it and I thought, well, problem number one is you got my phone number and my address on it. Because <laughs> you said, if you have any questions, call here. But I said, number two, this is so bold. This is so direct, Jonathan. And my wife sitting there, she said, honey, you taught him to venture. You taught him to be bold. To do something with that faith. What are you doing with your faith that takes you out of your comfort zone? Well, we bought the stamps, and boy, I had no idea. I hadn't licked a stamp in a long time. And if you haven't done that, it'll ruin your taste buds for a week. <laughs> we licked all these stamps and stamped them all up and sent them out. And boy, our phones started ringing off the hook. People said, I got your son's letter. I said, oh, good. And then they started sobbing. And he said, no one's ever talked to me like that. And he's right. Are you ready to venture for God? You want your faith to be something? It takes the voice and it takes the venture. You say, well, I wouldn't know what to venture. Come to pastor He'll give you something to venture for. But don't live in the do-nothing comfort zone. Faith was meant to be used. It was meant to have a voice and a venture tied to it. Before Jonathan was done with those letters, 11 people trusted Christ. Seven people came and joined our church off of one young man's letter who I told him, I said, this is not a good letter. But it wasn't meant to be good. It was meant to be faithful. And God took it and used it. You got to have the voice. You got to have the venture. Have your kids ever seen you venture for God? Have you ever led your family in venturing for God? 
Oh, that's where faith comes alive. You want the voice and you want the venture. Write the third and last thing down. You want your faith to grow. You got to have the voice. You got to have the venture. Here's the last thing. You got to have the value. David, what do you mean by the value? Do you value faith the way God does? Do you understand, out of all the things God could have said, the one thing he says you have to have if you want to please me is faith. Do you value faith? The Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. When's the last time you said, God, let me value that the way you do? I tell you this story and I'm done. I was traveling through the west part of Texas in the Texas panhandle. Uh, and if you've never been there, have any of you ever been in the western part of Texas up in the panhandle? It, it's, it's oil country. I mean, you roll down the window, you smell oil. It's in the air. And I'm traveling down the highway, and I had just stopped at a gas mart, and I got my favorite health food. I got a whole bag full of hostess stuff. That's my favorite health food, okay? The one thing I love about gas marts is there's nothing healthy there to mess you up. It's just all good. Now, I'm really in a remote part of Texas just whooping down this highway. And I mean, I'm going 75 and 80, and trucks are passing me. Well, I'm going along, and I, I reach down, and I got one of my hostess out, one of my favorites, those chocolate cupcakes with the white cream in the middle. Oh, how many of you like those, right? Oh, there. In the Old Testament, that's what manna was, was these <laughs> cupcakes with white cream. God, God showered. You, you go look in the Ark of the Covenant, there's one in there, okay? Man, I got the thing out, and I got it out. It comes in that little plastic tin-like, and I pulled it out. And I'm driving along 80 mile an hour, and I took a humongous bite. Now, you never take a little bite of one of these because you want to get the cream and all the good stuff. And I went, what happened next will never leave my mind. It was spoiled. The white cream had turned to a greenish-gray color, and there were bugs in it. Little creepy crawler, maggot-type bugs. You want to wreck your day? Just go... I mean, I am spitting stuff out. I'm getting it up. And I can feel bugs crawling around on my gums. And, and I mean, I even had a lady once come up to me and say, well, those bugs are healthy for your teeth. What kind of gums have you got? <laughs> Good night. I'm spitting all this out looking at it. And I mean, it's just terrible. And, and I know you're not supposed to throw stuff out, but I decided to throw it out. And so I, I put the window down and I got all of it scraped off into this hand. 
And there's occasions when I've gone to throw something out, it didn't exactly go out. How many of y'all ever had that one happen to you? Okay. But this time the pitch was perfect. I went, and man, the cupcake, the wrapper, all the little grimy bugs went out right out the window, clean shot. But what happened next? My wedding ring, which was on. Oh, is right. When I went, I'm telling you, it came off in slow motion and it started tumbling through the air and it went right out the window. Oh, I thought, God, I know we're not supposed to litter, but lighten up. This is. Now, this wedding ring, my wife and I will celebrate 49 years in June. Matters to me. We only paid $16 for it when we bought it. It's not expensive. But you see, the lady I love more than any person on planet Earth, my bride, on that Saturday in front of our preacher, she slipped this on my finger and said, I promise, I vow. And I made a vow to her. And now it's gone out the window. I slammed on the brakes. Now, at 60 mile an hour, you're going 88 foot a second. But at 80 or 90 mile an hour, you're going 100 to 120 feet a second. And I thought, I'll never find that ring. There's all this scrub brush, mean looking stuff. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh, wait a minute. It went out the window with the hostess. If I can find the wrapper and I can find the hostess and those crummy bugs, I might find the ring. So man, I started backing up, backing up. And after about 20 minutes, I found the wrapper. Along the edge of the road, there's all these brushes that go back hundreds of yards. And they're these prickly brushes. They have a thing called starburs down there. They're prickly on all sides. And I thought, oh, this is going to hurt, but I see that wrapper in there, and I'm going to go in. And so, man, I started going in, and these prickers are pricking me real good, and I'm looking, trying to find it. And after just a couple of minutes, a semi pulls up and stops. And I thought, isn't that nice? Somebody's going to help me, wants to know if I need help. The guy gets out of his truck, climbs up on the hood of his semi, lights up a cigar, and starts drinking a beer. (laughs) And after a minute, I thought, he's not going to help me. He's just watching me. So I turned around and I said, you mind my asking what you're doing? He said, well, I just stopped to see you die. I said, you what now? He said, I just stopped to see you die. I said, die like die, die? He said, yeah, die, die. 
I said, what makes you think I'm going to die? He said, mister, do you understand you are in a nest of rattlesnakes? This is infested with highly poisonous snakes and you're in there by them. I said, no, 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 no. There's no snakes in here. And the minute I said that, a snake went up over the top of my shoe. And when I looked down, there was that diamond pattern. Oh, no. Now, snakes and I have an understanding. Where they're at, they own, I leave. I thought, how? This is ridiculous. I moved my foot just a little, and all of a sudden, everywhere they went, those rattles were going off everywhere. He said, Mr., I'm telling you, you're going to die. And I thought, well, you may be right. But I made one decision. I said, I'm not going to die in here with these hostess. If I'm going to die, it's going to be out there by the car. I'm going to make a sprint. Now, we chubby boys don't run real good to start with. But when your legs and your knees are shaken, we really don't run good. There's snakes everywhere. And I'm looking at them. And one snake took a jump and bit another snake, and that got him mad. So, and, and I'm like, oh, just let me get out of here. And so I finally get turned around. And now I got to go to just about where this bush is. And man, I came flying out of there. And when I did, those snakes set off snapping and biting. And a number of them hit me. A number of them hit my trousers and missed. Two of them hit my trousers and their fangs went right through my trousers. So when I came out, I'm dragging two rattlesnakes <laughs> that got their fangs in my britches. Now, the minute I got out, I thought, you want my pants, you got them. <laughs> I'm telling you, I took off my pants and pitched them. And both snakes went with them. And the guy on the truck, he said, that was good. That was good. I said, glory to God, that wasn't good. That was a miracle. Now I'm sitting out here at the edge of the road with no pants. Just really shook up. The hostess and my ring is still in there somewhere. And you say, what'd you do next? Well, there's a pastor there in Pampa, Texas by the name of Pastor Ricky File. And I called Pastor File. And I said, could you help me, please? He said, sure, anything, Brother Gibbs. What do you need? I said, well, number one, I need some pants. <laughs> he said, you don't have pants? I said, yeah, that's kind of it. He said, how come you don't have pants? I said, I'm not telling you. I said, I tell you, you'll tell every preacher in the county. And I said, I, and I said don't bring me no little boy pants. I need big boy pants, okay? He said, okay, a pair of pants. I said, the second thing I need is a metal detector. He said, a metal detector? He said, what are you doing? I said, when you get here, I'll explain. And then I said, I need a lawnmower that's really nasty, a brush hog type. 
He said, let me get this right. You got no pants. You want a metal detector and a brush hog. I said, you got it. He, I never forget what he said. He said, I wouldn't miss this for the world. <laughs> a couple hours later, he showed up with a few of his men. I explained to him. He said, let me get this right. This is all over a ring? I said, yeah. He said, it must matter to you. I said, more than you could ever imagine. It matters to me. Boy, we went snake hunting with that brush hog. Man, now I'm not running from him. Now I'm going here, snakey, snakey, snake. And <laughs> I'm whacking dozens of them to pieces. And do you have any idea how many little pop-top lids there are along the edge of a road? That metal detector was going off 90 mile an hour. But finally, that metal detector went beep. And Pastor Fowl reached down and he said, is this it? I said, yeah. I said, Pastor, I know this wouldn't matter to you. But it matters to me. And because it matters to me, I'm going to do everything in my power to get it. What matters to you, you will pursue. What matters to you, you will go after. Does faith matter enough to you to pursue it fervently? To say, I want the voice. I want the venture. And God, I know it's the one thing. Without it, I cannot please you. I want it to grow. I promise you, by faith, God says, I'll change everything. But you got to have the voice. You've got to be willing to do the venture. And you have to have that value that makes it precious in your life. Let's pray.